Hi, this is Michelle Wainwright, and welcome to Creative Juicy, a podcast about the creative process, the journey to finding your voice, and tools to help creatives, aka people just like you, find inspiration, confidence, and some business savvy along the way. My career in brand and content strategy led me to collaborating with incredible creators, from photographers to directors, chefs, designers, stylists, illustrators, developers, founders, and so much more. I'm here to shine a light on the experiences of people who dare to be different, with the hopes of inspiring you to do whatever makes you feel unapologetically you. So let's get into it. This is Creative Juicy. Can you please first introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your business? Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I'm Catherine Shaw. I'm the co-founder of Spring and Ballberry. We're a modern food meets wellness brand. And the whole mantra around the company is to explore a world of sweet beyond sugar. Our first product line are chocolate bars that are sweetened only with dates and then topped with really beautiful and fantastic for you ingredients from mango with urfa chili to lavender with bee pollen, and they all have zero grams of added sugar. Amazing. I am really excited to talk all things spring and mulberry, but I first want to talk a little bit about you. Prior to spring and mulberry, you were one of my clients when I started at my first agency, and I know our time together was short-lived because you then moved on to another gig, but I'd love to learn more about your career and what led you to wanting to start this business. My marketing career started um, between my first and second year of business school. I interned uh, for Lauren Bush Lauren at her startup Feed Projects. Um, And for those who don't know, Feed Projects um, is a charitable handbag and accessories company. a part of the wholesale cost of the bags are a donation to the World Food Program and other um, really remarkable uh, international development organizations around the world. And so I joined her to actually focus on the international development side. I thought I was going to work in international relations or microfinance. Um, I had spent a summer doing microfinance in Ghana. And I just happened to like fall in love with brand management and marketing and product development. And it really, you know, changed the course of my life. And so I, after business school, I decided to work at Unilever, you know, one of the biggest CPG companies in the world. And there I had the opportunity to work on Dove and Axe, two of their marquee brands, as well as Ragu Pasta Sauce. So while I was on Ragu, uh, my (laughs) girlfriend (laughs) who worked at Dom Perignon uh, called and said there was a job opening at Veuve Clicquot Champagne. And so I thought I should trade up from pasta sauce to luxury goods. And so I joined uh, LVMH and I was there for a few years working on influencer trade and consumer marketing programs. Um, And then in my last corporate role, I led global marketing for Pantone, the color company, um, working with designers across um, packaging, product, and fashion design uh, to select colors, understand color trends, and ensure like color accuracy in the production of all the products we see in the world. Um, 
And while it was a really cool job, I learned I did not like to do B2B marketing. I liked consumer marketing. Um, And at that point, I started having some health problems, which we'll talk about a little bit more. But that certainly led to starting Spring and Mulberry. Um, But I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. All of these things were kind of stepping stones to entrepreneurship. My parents had all been entrepreneurs. They all owned their own businesses. And so I think it was just part of um, part of our DNA. You explain your career path very, in my mind, casually, because I know how much of a boss you are. Um, so I guess just, I mean, this is kind of like a personal question just in terms of marketing. How did you rise up the ranks at all of these different companies? I mean, was there, was it moving jobs that helped you or, I mean, getting this global position at Pantone is a huge deal. And so I'm just, I'm curious as to how you made it all happen. I was just like a boss lady. I mean, I don't know if that's cool anymore to say that, but I was just like, I guess, aggressive about it. Like I just had this vision that like I wanted to rise through the ranks and get to, you know, the biggest job title as fast as I could. And partly that was probably because I had gone to Harvard for business school. And so they kind of tell you for two years that you're supposed to do something great in your life and, you know, that you should be, Um, an executive. And so I just felt like I had to do that in order to, I don't know, like, I guess, make people proud of me or to do what was expected of me. Um, And so I just worked really hard. I worked a lot. um, And I just kept asking, asking for promotions, asking for opportunities, asking to take on more work. Um, But what's interesting is that By the time I got to Pantone, I started having some health problems in my early 30s, and I had worked for a number of bosses across companies that basically lived on airplanes and were gone, you know, a lot of the time from their families. And I actually reached a point where I realized I didn't want my boss's job, that I wanted to do something else, um, that I wanted to have less pressure, more creativity, Um, and that maybe corporate life wasn't for me. Um, and so I actually took a step back from my career. I, um, I resigned from Pantone, um, and just took a break, uh, for a couple of years, uh, before starting Spring and Mulberry. Do you think that ever would have happened without the health scare? I don't know really, um, because, you know, I was one of those people my whole life. I was healthy. I never had braces. I never broke a leg. Like I was, I just, (laughs) I was just like, you know, go, 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 never stop. And then in 2016, um, I picked up pneumonia on an airplane and it turned into, um, an ICU stay for 17 days and a 60% chance of, Um, dying because I had sepsis and I made it through that. And I took some time off from work, like three months and went back and it was back to like working all the time and traveling and um, just this like very intense go, go, go lifestyle. And I realized like my body wasn't keeping up with me. And so I decided to leave Pantone in February of 2018 
um, focus on starting a family, you know, cooking. I was oil painting. I was going to bar method and Pilates every day, just like living my best ladies who lunch life. And two days after my 35th birthday in 2018, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that just kind of turned my life upside down. I mean, you know, when you're in your 30s, you're supposed to be, you know, they tell you, your culture tells you, you should be building your career and rising up the ranks and, you know, having a family if that's what you want. And you're supposed to be doing all the things. And all of a sudden I was confronted with not having children, not which I wanted, not having a career anymore, which I had really identified with. And now my body was trying to kill me. And I now had to battle something I was never on my to-do list to accomplish. And that was really, it was really an assault on the senses, like in every way. So then what do you... I mean, what do you do from there? I assume treatment and handling the cancer. And then I know a lot of that experience is kind of the impetus for spring and mulberry. So I'd love to obviously hear how that kind of progressed for you. So I was diagnosed in August of 2018, um, and I wasn't finished with treatment until June of 2019. So it was almost a year um, for example, the first, you know, as soon as you get diagnosed, you have no time to really absorb the information because you have to start treatment right away and make like very significant medical decisions almost immediately. Um, and so my, the first step for me in the treatment process was going through 20 weeks of chemotherapy, um, followed by two surgeries and radiation. So it was really intense. Um, you know, I was kind of at that point, um, so worn down from treatment that I was okay staring at a wall all day. <laughs> you know, like it was a lot to just like watch TV and focus. Um, so it wasn't really until I was done with treatment that I started trying to just like get my life back, you know, grow my hair back, be able to go out to dinner, um, to enjoy like a glass of wine, to see friends um, and start thinking about what was next. But during treatment, um, I, I did a lot of research to think about how like Eastern and Western medicine together could come together to create like a, a better cocktail to, you know, kick cancer. And so what I learned is that there's some research that shows that uh, refined sugars can actually um, spur cancer tumor growth. So as soon as I read this, just a week or two into to treatment, I quit sugar altogether. Now, this obviously doesn't, you know, include fruit. Um, it doesn't include naturally incurring sugars. It's really all of those added sugars and cookies and cakes and, you know, all of those things that we have as sweet treats. The other thing that I learned was that eating, there was a lot of research that showed that eating a diet high in antioxidants, including like leafy greens, mushrooms, berries, cacao, nuts, dates, all of those things could actually improve the medical outcome of chemotherapy treatment. Um, and so I went on a, I don't like, I'm not really a diet person, but I went on a regimen where I could eat whatever I wanted except refined sugar, as long as I ate you know, five to 10 antioxidant foods a day. But as you 
know, like as soon as you eat like, you know, 10 fruits and vegetables a day, like there isn't that much room for anything else. <laughs> and so it was probably the health, even though I was sick with cancer, it was probably the healthiest I had ever been because I was eliminating like all of the junk food. Um, but at that time, I still really had a sweet tooth and I wanted something celebratory. Like I wanted, you know, can I wanted this time in my life as hard as it was to be joyous in some ways. Um, and so I started trying to find alternatives to like the sweet treats that I would have normally eaten. And what I discovered was fruits, nuts, and cacao that are, are now part of our, really the foundation of spring and mulberry today and making my own desserts and sweet treats at home. Well, first, thank you for sharing, you know, your experience with cancer. Obviously, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. But it's also amazing research that you found because, I mean, I've known plenty of people with cancer and I've never heard that research. So it makes me feel silly for not knowing that. That's just such valuable information to know. Um, and also kind of cool just knowing how like beautiful your brand is and it's like this gorgeous chocolate or sweet bars and then knowing kind of the reason for it being so important and meaningful and scientific. It just kind of, yeah, it's just an incredible thing that you guys are doing. So, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I guess a few things based on what you said, like come to mind. One is just that, um, like I felt like during cancer treatment, I either could like have what everybody else was eating, which I knew was poisoning me, or I could have like the alternatives, which just like weren't that delicious. And were kind of like, womp, womp, like here's your consolation prize. I feel like so many health food brands that are out there in the world just really focus on know this, know that, you know, all these claims that almost make you scared of what you're eating. And so we just decided to take like a different approach, which is that you can eat foods that are really, really nourishing and good for you and you can feel your best eating them. And they can also be like really beautiful and abundant and that's really the the idea and the impetus behind spring and mulberry is that there isn't there isn't or there shouldn't be this trade off between what tastes good and what feels good and that if you go back to nature and you know natural whole ingredients there's actually this like beautiful abundant lush world out there that at least we want to we want to create and participate in so Catherine, you obviously, you know, you shared your experience with cancer, but I know there was more to the idea behind Spring and Mulberry surrounding um, a trip you made. So can you please um, give us a little more background in regards to how that influenced Spring and Mulberry? When I was still working at Veuve Clicquot before I went to Pantone, I got engaged and my fiance is Indian. And so we went to India for a huge engagement party with like, you know, 500 of the aunties and you know the whole thing. Um, and so on our way to India, we stopped in Dubai for a few days um, and just explored the city and were happily in love and, you know, just having like a ball. Um, and there it was really, I discovered kind of like the beauty of dried fruit and dates. And in Dubai, 
And in the Middle East, um, more broadly, like dates are used um, in fasting. Um, they're used to break fast during Ramadan. They're really used as a gift that you would bring as like a hostess gift to someone's home. Um, and so there's a number of beautiful companies there that serve up dates in the same way that Godiva serves up chocolates in the U.S. and beautiful gift boxes. And so it's really a part of like hospitality and gifting. And I was so struck by this and I really loved it because I thought like, why are dried fruits and nuts and dates all relegated to like the bulk bins of American grocery? Like they look like they're left to like shrivel up and die in the back of like a grocery store with bad lighting. Like this is so sad and no wonder nobody wants to eat them. But in other cultures, like they're really presented in such a beautiful way and showcased in like all of their delicious, healthy glory. And so I thought, you know, I need to do something with that. I, I'm going to park this nugget. And then, of course, you know, a number of years later, when I was diagnosed with cancer, it all came back. And I was like, yes, it's all about dates. You know, they are they are really like give you a lot of energy. They're full of fiber. They have the lowest glycemic index of um, practically any you know sugar out there. And they have more antioxidants than blueberries, more potassium than bananas. Like this is a magical little fruit. I have to do something with this. So where do you source your dates? I source them from uh, the Coachella Valley um, and from the Middle East. Um, and so we use different date suppliers based on the, um, the form factor. So we use like a date powder to uh, sweeten our chocolate. And then we use um, chopped medjool dates uh, on one of our bars. Well, I say recently, it feels recent because it was right before COVID, but went on a trip to India as well mm -hmm. and stopped in Dubai. And I honestly have never been more inspired just in general by the world because I felt so small in it. Like India mm -hmm. to me was a world completely new. And I've traveled mm -hmm. a lot because my family's um, from all over the place. But I always feel familiar traveling in Western countries. And I've even been to Asia and it didn't feel that new. But India specifically was like just such a joy to feel completely like lost. <laughs> um, I agree. I went there first when I was in college um, on a semester at sea program. And I just fell so in love with the country um, and probably would have never married my husband had I not been there, you know, when I was in college. But I just felt that you were seeing like an ancient culture, like right before your eyes. And it was so vibrant and colorful and beautiful and joyous. Um, and I, I really just felt at home. Like there was chaos everywhere, right? There's just so many people and so many animals and so much going on and so much to look at. It can be an assault on your senses for, you know, Americans who live in a more kind of, I would say, septic environment. But I just felt like in all the chaos, I felt really calm, felt like I was home in a way. Maybe I lived there in a past life. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, the way you just described it, vibrant, beautiful, that's very much how I think of spring and mulberry because the bars themselves are so gorgeous and even the packaging. Okay, so you have this idea 
where do you start beyond the research? Because you obviously did that. But then what's next? I started with product development, um, just trying to figure out like, what would I make? And it was really hard to narrow that down because when you have this foundation of, you know, fruits, nuts, cacao, dates, there's a lot of different things that could be made. We could have gone, you know, we went the chocolate route, but we could have gone, you know, the snack route, the cookie route, um, the, you know, the bar or, you know, the, the energy bar route. So where does it kind of live? I knew I wanted it to be a sweet or a, a alternative to like traditional desserts. Um, but, but how, what is the best format for that? And so I spent a lot of time on product development. I actually created three different product categories, chocolate and two others. And we did um, a small beta test last summer um, just with friends and family and in our local market. I'm based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. And so we did a local market test and we tested uh, three different product categories um, and from there kind of honed in on our chocolate being you know, the first product that we launched. But obviously doing a beta test, there's so much work involved, even though it's like this little mini thing, you're not even really trying to make money or be like an ongoing business. You're just trying to kind of test your concept. You know, it still included like product development, finding manufacturers, um, you know, doing photography and a website and packaging design and all of these things. And then you take those learnings and you throw away what doesn't work and you, you know, hone in and double down on what does work. And, and then from there, we kind of, we then moved into the second step, which is we knew we wanted to focus on chocolate. Now let's build kind of this emotional connection to the brand. Um, when we were in development, someone said to me, um, a friend of a friend who, you know, is like a really creative person, um, does create, creative at Nike said to me, people want you to woo them emotionally and buy them rationally. And at that point, you know, that they're wooed emotionally by a brand, but then they buy based on like the claims or the rationale or that sort of thing. And, and that was like really poignant for me because I felt like we were at that point in time focusing too much on the rationale of like, this has no sugar, this is healthy, this is better for you. And only through like a real brand development process did we come to the brand that is you know now available and in market, which is, you know, less about the health and more about like the beauty and pleasure of whole ingredients. So how did you figure out product development? I mean, were these things you had learned from your experience at Pantone, for example, or like how did you find the the factories or manufacturers or printers? Like, how did you go about finding your partners and vendors in order to bring this to life? And then also, what did that timeline look like? Or minimum order quantities also? Like, what does that whole process look like? Because I feel like a lot of times people have an idea, but then the scary part is if they can't make it themselves, how do they actually make a product to put out in the world? The product development process really differs by industry. So the beauty industry, for example, is really different than the food industry. Um, in food, you would start, you kind of start with creating a recipe at home, something that you like the taste of, that you've tasted with friends and family, that you're getting good feedback on. 
And then you can either work with a manufacturing partner or with a consultant, um, or if you're talented enough yourself, work um, work on your own to kind of ramp that home recipe up to a commercial recipe. Um, you know, something that you make in like your home Cuisinart or in your oven maybe won't work when it's scaled to, you know, creating it at thousands and thousands of pounds at a time. And so there's different tweaks that you make um, for industrial ovens or for, you know, different types of mixers or for different ingredients that are used in food production rather than that are sold on consumer shelves. So that's really the second part. And then the third part, what you do in tandem is finding uh, a manufacturer who can produce your product Um, And that is just like a long and arduous process. I think it's really like a black hole of just like Google. I think I spent just like months Googling the internet. Now there are consulting firms that will do all of this for you, but you know, most of them want like 20 to a hundred thousand dollars to do it. And so I wasn't willing to shell out, shell out the funds for that. And so I I just did it myself. And at what point did you find your co-founder? What was that? process like? Because I've noticed you've said we, and so I'm curious, was she on board from the beginning? (laughs) Definitely a we. Okay. The idea and the initial like concept development was mine. Um, And then Sarah, Sarah's my co-founder. She came in probably about like six to eight months after I had been like developing the idea. So by that point, I had found some manufacturers. I had settled on a name. I kind of had this general idea of wanting to build like a beautiful but healthy uh, food company. Um, And she came on, we met through mutual friend. Um, I feel like she's like my unicorn. (laughs) Like she um, has also worked in consumer products and luxury goods her whole career, but on the operations, product development and finance side of the business. So while I do all the marketing and sales, she does all the back of the house. And it's like a match made in heaven because we like both have our lanes. Um, We're both you know, we trust each other in those lanes, but then we, you know, help each other and, you know, our soundboards for one another, but we really like, we're good at and like doing the opposite things, which I'd say is like the number one criteria in finding a co-founder. Sarah too is also, has been so helpful to me because she spent a lot of her career in startups. So she led um, soft product development for Harry's Grooming, um, the unicorn, you know, grooming startup. She joined that company um, when it was, I think, maybe fifteen or seventeen people, and saw it grow to two fifty. Um, and she helped expand Harry's outside of razors into soft goods, like you know, face washes and gels and that sort of thing. Um, and then she also worked at Siggy's Yogurt when it was just a fledgling company of like seven people and help manage their cash flow and decided who to pay and who not to pay. And, you know, and obviously now that company has been sold and the founders exited. So she has a lot more startup experience and she has a lot more operations experience. And so that has been like incredibly helpful in building this brand. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it without her. I mean, I imagine that would be the most beneficial. You each have your own areas of expertise and then can execute on them. But that's so great. You met through a mutual friend and it wasn't like, because I feel like it can be tricky if it's a, if it's a, a natural friendship for lack of a better word, and then you decide to go into business together, but you guys were kind of business from uh, the start, if you will. 
We've been business from the start and have become good friends since. Um, And I would say it's just, you can't, you can't will these things to happen. It just is like fortuitous, you know, just in the same way that I, you know, cancer came to me and it's not something that I ever wanted. Sarah came to me and it was something that I really wanted, but never thought I could get. And life is just funny, you know, in that way. She, you know, we were both, you know, in Raleigh, um, you know, not a lot of people in this area that, you know, have the backgrounds that we do. And we just happened to both want to do a startup at the same time. We were both new moms to young kids, had similar lifestyles. And even we complement each other in terms of personality. Like I'm much more optimistic, but I also have high highs and low lows. And she's kind of just like even keeled like all the time. Which is like, you know, when I'm like really excited, she's like not as excited. And I'm like, hey, what's wrong? Aren't you excited? And then when I'm really low, she's like, everything will be fine. (laughs) So, you know, I I feel so lucky um, to have found her. And, you know, I I think the the lesson for anyone who's listening or, you know, thinking about a co-founder is you really have to have somebody who compliments you in every way. Um, that's the best type of co-founder and somebody who I would say is not your family or your best friend or somebody that you've had like a really personal relationship with. Um, it, I think it, you know, in some ways, the old adage of, you know, separating business and pleasure, it makes a lot of sense because it really is like a second marriage. I mean, it's, it is your business marriage. And so having that kind of business relationship from the start you know, helps, helps, helps when times get tough or when you have to make really hard decisions. How amazing you found her in Raleigh. That's just, I, I didn't realize you both were in the same location. <laughs> I know it's like the world willed it. It, it happened. <laughs> Seriously. It's manifested. Yeah. Yes, definitely. How did you get the brand to be so visually beautiful? And what did that look like in terms of packaging design as well? I really have to like give it all, you know, all the props to our creative agency, uh, Letter A out of Portland. Um, They're a new creative agency, all-female team. Um, And the founder, Allison, uh, had previously worked with Sarah, my co-founder, at Bumble and Bumble. Um, They were both at Estee Lauder together. And so... Allison really was the visionary for the look and feel of the brand. She took all of the kind of the nuggets that you come, you know, to a a creative director with that we, you know, that Sarah and I had both lived in Ghana and that's why we source our cacao there that, you know, I was really inspired by my travels to, you know, the Middle East and India that, um, we wanted something like beautiful and elegant, but also like casual and inviting um, that we wanted a health food brand that wasn't about being a health food brand. It was about, you know, something so beautiful that I, that through being ill that I wanted, you know, to, I needed to discover sweetness in forms beyond sugar, right. Whether it was pollen, you know, floral pollens or jammy fruits or, um, tangy spices, like all of all of those things were a way to find sweetness when you can't use sugar. And so she took all of that and built it into the world that you now see. 
Um, and as it relates to packaging design, um, the packaging is really inspired by the colors of the, su the sunset and that transition from day to night, you know, in the day when you're with friends and this warm sun is shining on you and there's flowers abound. And then, you know, those days that kind of linger into nights where all of a sudden you have impromptu dinner parties and, you know, conversation is flowing and the moment feels like magical and the stars start to come out. That world of kind of these intimate, impromptu gatherings that just kind of go from day to night was really the inspiration, partly because isn't that how we all want to live? Like, <laughs> I mean, you even describing that makes me feel like I feel like the sun on my skin and it's like 11 a.m. Yeah. in New York City. <laughs> And I'm inside. I know. I mean, we, we all don't live like that and we all don't live like that every day, but like those are the moments when you're happiest and you're connected and you feel like you belong and everything just tastes better. And that's, that's the moment we want to live in as a brand. Well, I feel like you just answered my next question because I was going to ask, how do you how do you sell Spring and Mulberry? Like, how do you get it into stores? And I feel like that description, I mean, I'm not a store owner or know anything about that, but um, what is your approach for sales? So I'm a little bit of an A-type personality. And so before we launched, I think it was over Christmas break, I, um, I it was like two or three weeks I just went through every single brand that I love and I have been obsessed with for years and they think is doing everything right. And I just handpicked like all of their accounts and put it into like a master spreadsheet and cross-reference all maybe 15 brands to each other to come up with like a master list um, segmented by city and segmented by like which accounts house more brands. Like if kind of the idea was if an account, um, if accounts sold more of the brands that I loved, then that account was like one of the first accounts we would go out to because it, that's where we wanted to be sold. So I did so that legwork before we launched. And now I just execute on it and testing different things, you know, emailing accounts, DMing accounts, um, showing up to accounts. And um, luckily, most of them say yes. Um, and I think that really is in part because our, our chocolate is exceptional. Um, and, you know, not just a exceptional chocolate, because it's sweetened with dates, but exceptional because it just is so delicious. Um, and the packaging is, is beautiful, but it's early days and we'll see. I mean, I think, you know, probably what I skipped over is we, we really have decided to focus on selling to like hotels, boutiques, and trendy food stores. So what's great about this moment in time is that I know every single person that I'm talking to by name, like I know the buyer, I'm sending that buyer a sample of our product and it becomes like a personal relationship where we like cheer, you know, kind of cheer each other on. And I think one day if we have the opportunity to be in like grocery or some of these like bigger chains, you know, where people is where mainly people buy food, that relationship will change and the whole thing will be different. And what we're doing now is just so special because it's just 
one, one by one by one by one. And it feels really intimate. How long has Spring and Mulberry been out in the world? March 22nd. Oh my gosh. So we're baby. We're baby. That's incredible. Who else do you have on the team? Is it just you and Sarah? It's just Sarah and I um, on as employees on the team. We then have um, you know strategic advisors um, who you know help us and meet with us. Um, you know founders, investors, um, uh, social media influencers. You know people that just want to be a part of the brand. And then we work with a PR agency, the James Collective. Um, and we work with our creative agency at, at letter A, and then we made the strategic decision to, um, outsource production of our chocolate. So we work with a bean to bar manufacturer that produces our chocolate, um, from bean to bar, um, (laughs) and, you know, roast the cacao, um, you know, adds the dates. It's a five day process from start to finish. Um, and, you know, we decided that was probably a big strategic decision was to not manufacture in-house. And we did that because, you know, we're, we're, we're brand people and we're business people. We're not chocolate makers. And you just have to kind of understand like what your, what your capabilities are and what you're best at, and then find people who are, you know, good at the things that you're not good at. Um, and so we're really, we, you know, have a really close relationship with our chocolate maker, um, but we don't make the chocolate ourselves. Where is he, your chocolate maker or she? Can't tell. Okay. <laughs> you know, in food, um, in food, there are no copyrights or trademarks or, you know, you can't trademark a recipe. And so the secrecy, you know, around your co-packer, it has to be shrouded in secrecy because that's the only way to protect it. Oh, well, I'm glad I asked because I didn't know that piece of information. Yeah. Chocolate maker just sounds so like magical. <laughs> <laughs> you know, weirdly, like the universe, you know, how the universe like just kind of puts things in your lap. We, one of my good friends from business school, his family is, um, a well-known chocolate maker in Europe. And so when we were going through this process and trying to, you know, I had had too many situations where like I couldn't temper chocolate properly and it was all blooming and turning white. I finally called them and said, like, can you help me? Oh, good. Okay. So Catherine, can you share an experience about your first big problem? Or maybe it wasn't your first, just a big problem for the business and how you overcame it? Yeah, it, that's a tricky one. I, I think, you know, we're we're so new that, you know, the big, I don't know that we've had a big problem yet. I'm sure yeah. one is waiting for us around the corner. I think it's just like constant little problems, you know, it's constant pivoting. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. put something out in the world, um, you know, like in our beta test, we put it out in the world and, you know, people liked certain products over others. They didn't like the price point. Like some people love the packaging. Some people hated the packaging. And it really forced us to kind of look in the mirror and say, like, is this good enough to go out, out like nationally with? Like, do we, do we feel comfortable trying to like pitch this to press? Do we feel comfortable going out to stores around the country? And really after, you know, some like arduous, like eight, six to eight weeks of trying to like 
decide like, do you spend the money on the branding or do you just do the scrappy startup, you know, test and build and reiterate and all of that? We made the decision to like raise money um, from strategic advisors and friends and family to invest behind the brand because we felt that it, without the brand, it doesn't really resonate. Then you're just in a sea of you know, a million other brands that are entering the market. And so to give ourselves the best shot, we should, in, we should invest behind the brand and the story and create the world around the product so that you woo emotionally and sell rationally. And you're not just relying on, you know, the selling rationally. And that was a huge leap of faith. Like we had no idea if people would show up. I mean, we're st it's still a huge leap of faith. Like we're still a baby brand trying to build every single week and get more orders and grow the business. And I, we don't know that it has worked yet, but I think it for sure wouldn't have worked if we hadn't done that. And so that's probably the biggest decision. But from there, it's kind of, you know, then you put it out in the world and you see what people have to say and whether they're resonating with it. And do they like the dream that you, do they like your dream that's so personal to you? Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see where you are in a year, two years time, because even just looking at your Instagram, I mean, it doesn't feel like, oh, this brand new baby brand, like it feels really thoughtful and strategic and gorgeous. And the chocolate bars are the same. Like it feels so luxurious in a way, but also like you said, relatable. Like I'm not like afraid of it for lack of a better word or like, oh, that's only for a very special occasion. It's more approachable than that. I just think you and Sarah have done an incredible job. I'm so happy that you said that. That's exactly what we're trying to do. It's like, oh, you know, it's funny because like the whole, you know, like for so long on Instagram, it was like people only showed their best selves. And I think we all got tired of like the pressure of that. Mm -hmm. But from a brand, like it is like lovely in your, you know, downtime or in your evening hours to just like scroll through through and see beautiful things. Like, you know, I think for both of us wanting to work on, you know, beautiful brands like Vuv Clicquot that, you know, put out something like aspirational and beautiful and joyous into the world, like is fun. And so, you know, we have been trying to kind of thread this needle between this world that's beautiful and lush and abundant that you want to be a part of, but not in a way that feels inaccessible or putting on airs. <laughs> the comparison I make is wearing a work workout athleisure into like a fancy shop. You never feel comfortable going in like, oh, I, I look like crap. I'm sweaty, whatever. <laughs> and I always tell myself. You're like, always getting the eye. <laughs> yeah. But then I'm like, I'm going in. And then I go in and I'm like, why did I come in here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we never want anyone to feel like that. I think, you know, I think the what's interesting about anything that's, a, you know, aspirational is that the truth is we can all have aspirational moments. We just can't have them all the time. And so I think that's maybe the nuance that we're hitting on. It's like you can have a gorgeous, abundant, beautiful, free-flowing, you know, dinner party with your best friends and it can be like the best day ever. And you can have spring and mulberry there because it's so easy, right? You just break it up and put it on the table and it's like chic and beautiful and like easy and no work. 
But like then the next day you got to like probably run errands and like do groceries and like that's fine. Like that's real life. Down the road, I don't have specific years in mind, but what is your vision for Spring and Mulberry? I mean, the ultimate goal is to really be a major, major player, or have a major contribution on changing the way Americans think about sugar. Um, America has a sugar problem. We're all addicted to sugar and it's not because we want to be, it's because our taste buds have been trained to sugar because it's hidden in all of the industrial packaged food. Um, you know, there's a, I read that there is uh, that, you know, major food companies, they label sugar under a number of different names, often ending in OS, O-S-E, um, because you can have four or five different types of sugar labeled as different ingredients, and then they don't show up as the number one ingredient, like sugar. That's why on so many packages you see, you know, dextrose and corn syrup and brown sugar and you know, refined sugar, and it's all in there and it's all sugar in a different form, but it's meant to trick people. And so we, you know, as a result of that, Americans eat four times the daily recommended amount of sugar and sugar's linked to really, you know, terrible diseases from cancer to heart disease, to diabetes, to Alzheimer's. And so we want to create a brand and put it in the world that just allows people to not think about it anymore, that you know if you buy something from Spring and Balberry that it's going to be, you know, refined sugar-free, that we're not going to have a bunch of hidden weird ingredients that you can't pronounce. We're also not going to have the next fad sugar that you don't know if it's good or bad for you. We're just going to have things that are delicious and whole and real and just make it easy. Make it easy to eat well and live well. I have five final questions. I ask everyone the same questions. You may have touched on some of them, but I will ask them nonetheless. So question number one, what drives you to create and why do you do what you do? I'm driven to create Spring and Mulberry because I wanted a brand in the world that I didn't have for myself um, that was both beautiful and healthful. Feeling inspired feels like Soaring through the sky. Over India and Dubai. Um. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even better. Yeah. Where do you go to get your creative juices flowing? How do you overcome creative blocks? I have a little one at home, so there isn't much time for that anymore. <laughs> she kind of, you know, takes up all hours that aren't for work. But I love to play tennis. I love to oil paint. I love yoga and podcasts and I love a bath and reading my favorite magazines like Bon Appetit, Food and Wine and Vogue uh, in the bathtub. So I think it's just about like stepping away from the computer, stepping away from the to-do list and just kind of like doing something that allows you to be in flow and free your mind. Mm. If you could tell your younger self one thing or one piece of advice, what would you say? Balance the future with the present. Try to enjoy life today and not always live for a future you're trying to create. Hmm. And then finally, 
what are you looking forward to? Is there anything that's coming up that's keeping you feeling motivated and inspired? We're starting our planning for holiday of this year and next year. Um, and we're excited about that. We're hoping, hope to have some fun, um, you know, new activations or collaborations or products, you know, we'll see how long it takes. Product development is a long road, but it's fun to start thinking about, you know, how the brand iterates over time. I mean, that's like the funnest thing to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best part. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story. I think this is really important and also inspiring for people to hear. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Creative Juicy. If you like what you heard, it would mean so much if you can take a minute to rate and review the show. Be sure to hit subscribe to stay updated on new episodes and follow me at Mish, M-I-C-H, underscore Wainwright on Instagram for more podcast updates. You can also find show notes and a transcript for today's episode at creativejuicypodcast.com. Hope you have a good one. Bye.